Okay, so we are continuing through Unit 6 of God's Economics, and Unit 6 is the parables of Jesus about money. Hallelujah. Now, I said this in the last class as well, but if you are just joining in, or if you missed a couple and you're just coming back, I really strongly encourage you, go back at least to point E, the parable of the shrewd manager, because all of these parables, the parable of the shrewd manager, point F is the law and the kingdom. And now point G, that's what we're up to, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. They are all in the same chapter. So if you were a disciple walking with Jesus on this particular day, you would have heard all of these parables told at the same time. Jesus would have spoken these in a matter of probably less than 15 minutes. All right. I know there's a lot of in-depth content, and I know that they've probably been taught to you in various manners as as various teachers have dissected them and picked them apart and highlighted what they think is important or not. But what I have discovered is that by taking the parables of Jesus in the fullness of the context and really going through scene by scene of what's happening, who's there, what, you know, who is Jesus talking to and why, is, is there an exchange going on? Is he responding to something? It really gives a a deeper understanding of what Jesus is talking about when he's speaking in parables. Because oftentimes with a parable, some of the parables, like in Matthew 13 um, and the basic parables of the kingdom of God, Jesus gave an explanation to his disciples when they were alone privately later. But most of the parables, we have no explanation aside from interpretation that the Holy Spirit gives to us, which the Holy Spirit's interpretation will always be rooted in the writings of God. We've got to understand the perspective that Jesus was coming from. Remember, Remember, Jesus is the Word made flesh. Okay, so this parable, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, um, again, this is in the context of Jesus just finished up with the parable of the rich man with the manager, and the manager then forgave the debts, and the rich man was like, hey, good job. Good job for making me less money. You know, good job for forgiving the debts. Why? Because the manager was saying relationships are more important than the money. Okay, outpoured mercy is more important than the stuff. Okay, so it's a parable not just about pouring your money out for the kingdom of God and God's purposes, but your mercy out for the kingdom of God and his purposes. And he wraps that up by saying you can't serve both God and money. Well, then the Pharisees, they snicker at him and they ridicule him. Why? Because they are lovers of money who always desire to exalt themselves. And then in the last segment we went through, Jesus gives a contrast between the law of God, which was proclaimed up until John, and now the kingdom of God is proclaimed. So the law requires full payment, full restitution for sin, right? So this is why people who are under the law might 
seem or think that they are totally justified in not showing mercy because under the law, the law requires atonement for sin through the shedding of blood. And if someone's in sin and then they're in sickness and they have all these problems in their life because of their sin, then if you're operating in the flesh or if you're operating in a legalistic or a law mindset, then you're going to say, well, you did it to yourself. You got what you deserve. But the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom of God is the proclamation that, yes, the wrath of God is coming, but God gave his son to extend mercy mercy to you, right? So Jesus is contrasting the law and the kingdom. But he's also saying, I'm not going to change a thing about the law. I'm going to fulfill the law. You know, I'm going to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law, even while extending mercy. And then he says something, we talked about this in the last class, about you can't be you know, like a a woman, you can't be divorced from one man and married to another. That's adultery. You can't be in the old covenant. You can't be in the law and in the new covenant, the, the kingdom at the same time. That's adultery. You can't do both. You've got to be dead to the one and alive to the other, be dead to the law. So that's the setup for the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Now, having that as our context, it starts to eliminate, this is, about the rich man who doesn't have a name. He's anonymous. Like, I just love that. That's kind of a dig because the rich man, he doesn't even get a name. But the poor man, his name, we know his name. His name is Lazarus, right? But I have heard this parable taught in various times by various teachers, and I'm not saying that I throw out all of their teachings, but we've got to take these parables in the fullness of their context. I've heard this parable taught from time to time as like the anti-rich people or the pro-poor people, you know, parable. That's not what this is about. Jesus is speaking in a parable to now clarify from the context that he's already in the series of events that he's already in, in this, what is known today as Luke chapter 16, to clarify that even though just now he contrasted the law and the kingdom of God, he's now telling another parable to clarify that the kingdom of God actually does not contradict the law at all. The kingdom of God is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Okay, but he's telling a parable. He's using a story to make that point because Jesus spoke in parables to outsiders. Why? So that those without eyes would not see, those without ears would not hear. Okay, he's separating. He's using parables to separate the insiders from the outsiders. And I know this one is a little bit more challenging, but we're going to read it and I'm going to read it. I think it would be best for me to read it all the way through. Now that you've got the context that we're coming into this with, right, contrasting the law and the kingdom, but now we're going to understand that the law and the kingdom are actually in total agreement with one another. It's just a different covenant, all right? So I'm going to read it all the way through, and then we'll go into the explanation. All right, so we're in Luke chapter 16, and starting with verse 19, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. So 
purple and fine linen. Purple is the color of royalty. It would have been a very, very expensive cloth. Um, So, for example, in the book of Acts, there's a woman named Lydia. She's a seller of purple cloth. Lydia was a wealthy woman. And that's why she insisted, hey, you know, come come back to my house. She had a big enough house. She could entertain people, clothe them purple. It's in a very expensive cloth. Fine linen, it's expensive cloth. And he feasted sumptuously. He had the best foods. You know, he went to the best markets. He had, you know, he went to the best restaurants. He feasted on the finest foods every day. That's what was at his personal dining room table. All right. Verse 20, and at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. So there's Lazarus hoping for a crumb. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. And, you know, dogs will do that if they smell blood or if they smell some kind of infection because dogs have those great noses, they'll come and they'll they'll lick it because it's unclean and it might even be tasty. So, you know, dogs were licking at Lazarus because either they were trying to clean him or they were trying to eat him. So it's not really the best life for Lazarus right now. Okay, verse 22, the poor man died. And was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And your translation might say Abraham's bosom. Um, That's a, a, a phrase for the place of the dead, the place of the righteous dead, the righteous who are going on into eternal life go to Abraham's bosom or Abraham's side. We don't have time to go into that whole explanation, but that's just explaining to you where he went. We would say today they went to heaven, but at this point in time, Jesus had not yet attained heaven for us. So there was another place of the dead that people went to, and it was called Abraham's bosom because Abraham was righteous. Abraham um, is the faithful one. And so wherever Abraham went, he he was believing for eternal life. He was in eternal life. So those who also were righteous in God's sight and made it into eternal life, they went to wait for the world to come alongside with Abraham. It's different than the place where the rich man is about to go to. So we're picking up. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, so that's the that's hell. That's burning, fire, torment. That is not where the righteous go. That is where people who are not righteous go, right? In Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this, in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, Remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between you, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us." And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. 
Okay, so I know I stopped interjecting. I wanted you to hear that all the way through. So, yes, a lot of people have used this for evangelism. Yes, there is a chasm between hell and between the place where the righteous go, and no one can cross over it. So uh, the rich man discovered that the hard way. He was crying out for what? He was crying out for mercy. He was crying out to receive mercy— from the very one whom he had shown no mercy to. He had shown no mercy. Lazarus was sitting there getting licked, maybe even tried to be eaten by dogs. And the rich man, he was there wearing his purple clothes, wearing his fine linen, eating all his his extravagant food. He had no mercy on Lazarus. That is exactly why he went to the place of the unrighteous. And we can assume, Jesus is speaking to Pharisees at this point, we can assume that the characters in this parable are all Israelites who are under the law. And the fact that they're talking to Abraham, now Abraham is not the father of the law, he's the father of the faithful. Abraham was justified by faith. That's a whole other dynamic of this parable that we're not going to go into completely because we're trying to stay focused on the God's economics part and how what the point that Jesus is making through these parables. But, but the rich man could have very well, he was absolutely able to show mercy, to use his money, to use his wealth to help poor Lazarus get a meal, to help poor Lazarus get some clothes, to dress his wounds, to bind him up, to help him to be healed from the sores that the dogs were licking. But instead, he kept buying his designer clothes. He kept, you know, probably got himself a new donkey, good transportation. And he kept eating all the best foods that he, and probably wines that he could afford. And he could afford a lot. He was a rich man. But Lazarus received comfort and mercy from God. So the rich man said, okay, if I, if, I, if I can't get mercy from in this whole situation, if I can't cross over, then please go warn my brothers. I have brothers. They need to know because I don't want them to come to this place of torment. You know, if I can't get out, at least I don't want those that I love to, to come here. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. So here's the point. All of these people, so the rich man and all of his brothers, they're under the law, the law of Moses. The law of Moses makes incredibly clear in many, many, many places that neglecting or disregarding the poor is disobedience against the law. You know, one in one example of there are many, but in one example, it says clearly, if your brother, if your fellow Israelite becomes poor, then take him into your own house and give him everything he needs. Essentially, the law is saying, supply him with everything he needs to get back on his feet again. That's in the law. That is in the law of God, the law of Moses. So this rich man who was just concerned about himself, 
I said this before in the prior uh, segment, the rich man is the example of the manager who was wasting the possessions of the rich man. In that parable, the rich man was God, but the the possessions were being waste, be, wasted because they were being kept all to himself. This, in a parable, the rich man is not God. The rich man is a rich man who's keeping all of his money to himself, all of the benefits of his money to himself. Do you see the correlation there? So it's two totally different parables using the the example of a rich man in two totally different ways, but they are highlighting. There are cues. It should be going bing, bing, bing. You know, these are pulling together cues that Jesus is trying to communicate through these parables. The law makes it very clear that God wants mercy. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy. What I desire is steadfast love and mercy. So the rich man, if he had understood the law, he would have recognized that mercy is the true heart of God, and he would have shown mercy to Lazarus rather than holding everything to himself. The rich man's brothers, likewise, if they understood the law and the prophets, then they would show mercy to the poor. But they most likely didn't understand the law and the prophets because like the Pharisees who Jesus just rebuked, which we talked about in the last segment, they probably loved money and loved exalting themselves just like this rich man, their brother. And so their hearts were hardened. Their hearts were so focused on the things of this world that they were completely blinded and hardened to being able to understand that the law, the purpose of the law, was to point people to their need to cry out to God for mercy, their need to to call out to God in faith, even though they deserve nothing from him. David was a man after God's own heart, not because he was perfect. David messed up big time. David messed up a couple times big time. But he called out to God for mercy and he believed God. He knew God. He understood the ways of God. He understood the heart of God. He was a man after God's own heart. He was willing to abase himself, asking, begging for mercy. And he was willing to show that mercy to other people. But this parable is being told to Pharisees, and their hearts were so hard. This is absolutely Jesus making a statement of where he's going. Luke 16, Jesus has already, already warned his disciples a couple of times that he's headed to Jerusalem to be crucified. He knows what the will of God is for his life, that he's going to be crucified, mocked, ridiculed, rejected, and die in this generation. But God will raise him from the dead in resurrection to eternal life and raise him up into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father. He knew that was coming. But he's telling this parable and he's socking it to them. He says they would not be convinced even if someone should rise from the dead. And he's saying this to Pharisees. To Pharisees. You know what? It's the Pharisees who turn Jesus in to be crucified. 
And when he was raised from the dead, they continued to persecute the followers of Jesus. Why? Because their hearts were so hard that they did not believe, even though Jesus was raised from the dead. Even though Jesus, the fulfillment of Isaiah 53, took our sins upon himself by his wounds, we are healed. He took the chastisement that we deserve, that we might receive mercy, that he could ascend to the right hand of God and make intercession for transgressors to show mercy. It was God's good pleasure to crush him, to lay upon him the iniquity of us all, to show mercy. That's in the law and the prophets. I just quoted very badly, but that was lots of different segments from Isaiah 53. Mercy, mercy. The kingdom of God does not contradict Moses and the prophets. The Pharisees were mocking and ridiculing Jesus, but they were the ones who didn't have a clue. So please, the next time you read this parable, Don't think that God is anti-rich people. It's okay to be rich. There are people who love God with all their heart, and they also have money. It's what you do with that money that matters. Don't let money have your heart. God is not anti-rich people and pro-poor people. There are poor people who refuse to receive the mercy of God. There are poor people who turn to all kinds of wickedness and evil and feel justified in their own sight because they've had it so hard, rather than crying out in humility to God for mercy. It's not about rich or poor, for God has poured out the blood of his Son to have mercy on us all. So I hope that gives a little bit more clarity to the context of this parable by looking at it in light of the other parables leading up to it. (music) 